Another Fed day today. This is when the Federal Reserve announced the results of their uh, two-day meeting. And um, as usual, the Federal Reserve did exactly what the markets expected them to do, which has pretty much become a pattern with this Fed. Powell does not want to uh, surprise the markets. He wants to deliver to the markets exactly what they expect. And so every time we get an announcement, it's exactly what the market has already priced in. And so to me, I think that that means the Fed is really almost taking their lead from the market. Uh, and they're very cognizant of how the market might react to their decisions. And so they're trying to make sure that their decisions uh, reflect what the markets expect so that there isn't some surprise. And you know, before I get into uh, today's announcement, I just want to uh, mention before I forget that I am going to be doing the Q&A uh, following today's podcast. So if this is about an hour, you know, I'm, I'm doing this live now. I started at eight o'clock Eastern. So about nine o'clock Eastern, we'll do the Q&A if you're not already signed up, you can go to shiftradio.com slash premium and uh, sign up and then you can ask questions or just uh, sit back and listen to me answering other people's questions. Although it's also video, uh, so it's just pretty much the same format as, uh, as the podcast. Oh, by the way, some people have already noticed that the last couple of podcasts, the video has improved and that is because I did get that 4K camera installed that I spoke about, but I'm not streaming in 4K yet because I still don't have everything I need. Once we got the camera, oh, there's a new part I needed. I had to order that. And then the computer we had uh, wasn't good enough. So I have to buy a new computer, which I haven't even done yet. So I'm still a ways away from actually being able to use the capabilities of this 4K camera. But in the meantime, it is you know, broadcasting a, a nicer image than the 1080 that I had before, but we are still broadcasting in 1080, not uh, 4K. So it's going to get even better than this when I finally, uh, you know, put all the pieces together. But anyway, so let me get back to talk about the, um, the rate hike or not rate hike, the rate decision. So as expected, the Federal Reserve left the Fed funds rate unchanged in September at five and a quarter to five and a half. Now, Powell did indicate that there is an expectation of one additional hike, and that's basically all the Fed expects. So maybe five and a half to five and three quarters, and then they're done, which means they're really done right now. Because even if you raise rates, by another 25 basis points after having gone from zero to 525. What difference is one more 25 basis point hike gonna do? And if they haven't done the job now, if five and a quarter isn't enough to bring inflation back down to 2%, which, which it's not, but if, if, if that's not enough, then five and a half isn't gonna do the trick. 
And if five and a quarter is enough to do it, then what difference does an extra rate hike mean? I mean, it, it's practically the same thing. It's not like people are going to change their behavior dramatically because the Fed funds rate is five and a half versus five and a quarter. Uh, it, it, it's too small a difference to be meaningful. And, and so this really signifies the end of the, 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 the hiking cycle, at least to the extent that the markets are anticipating. So I would imagine that we would start to see uh, sell off in the dollar, a rally in gold. We didn't really see that today. Uh, it was actually very quiet in, in the foreign exchange markets. And gold did finish the day slightly positive off its highs. It was up maybe 12 bucks an ounce before we got the, the decision. But the markets kind of sold off late in the day. Uh, and I'll get to the, the market reaction after I finish talking about what happened. But I do expect there to be some type of move now uh, in um, in the gold market. And there may be something even going on in China. I've been reading stuff and I've noticed that the price of gold in China is actually you know, rising. You can actually, if you can orbit, you can actually get more money. Gold is selling at a premium right now in China than it is pretty much everywhere else. So the Chinese are buying gold. So something's going on that's causing them to buy more gold than normal, which is pushing up the price of gold in the Chinese market higher than the global market. So that could be indicative of, of something that's going on. I just don't know what it is, but whatever it is, it is resulting in more buying of gold in China. But anyway, so getting back to this rate hike, when they announced it, it was pretty much, you know, we're leaving rates unchanged. We're still a long way from our goal of getting inflation back down to 2%, but we're committed to doing it and we're going to do it. Really nothing new. Powell did uh, mention that the Fed still intends to continue significantly reducing the size of its balance sheet, meaning that there is no let up in quantitative tightening. And so even though the Fed didn't raise rates and may only raise rates one more time by 25 basis points, they're going to continue to tighten via the balance sheet uh, by, by shrinking the balance sheet. And of course, that is a huge problem. Uh, and this problem was not really acknowledged at all during this uh, press conference that followed uh, the announcement that rates would, would stay the same. Between the last podcast and the one that we just did, as I expected on my last podcast, the national debt moved through 33 trillion. So we now have a national debt in excess of 33 trillion. What's significant about this is that we didn't even, we just hit 32 trillion on September 15th. So it's been three months and maybe it was, I think it was yesterday. So maybe three months and four days. That's all it took to add a trillion. Now, outside of a the pandemic collapse, and I'm not even sure, you know, maybe this is even bigger than the pandemic, but I don't know that we've ever had a single three-month period. I mean, that's basically a quarter, one quarter, where a trillion dollars is added to the national debt. That is a huge number. I mean, we're certainly, we're not even in recession yet. I mean, one of the things I'm going to talk about is Powell kept talking about the strength of the economy, how strong the economy is, how unexpectedly strong it is. 
get this unexpectedly strong economy is hemorrhaging red ink, a trillion dollars in the last quarter. You know, the national debt didn't even hit a trillion until sometime in 1980 when Ronald Reagan you know, was elected, 1980. So that means it took the first 40 presidents 190 years to run up a trillion dollars in debt. Yet President Biden ran up the last trillion in just over three months. That tells you how big this crisis is. Yet not once during this press conference was the national debt even mentioned. Uh, Government spending mentioned. Powell's doing a press conference on inflation and the main source of inflation is government debt that the Fed monetizes, yet the, the, the topic of the out-of-control debt and all the monetization doesn't even come up. I mean, how do you even have a press conference to discuss inflation and you ignore the elephant in the room, right? Well, that's exactly what happened during the entire conference. And by the way, you know, everybody is excited to uh, listen to what Powell has to say on these press conferences. It's not because the guy knows anything. It's not like Powell has some kind of um, special knowledge about the economy or inflation that the rest of us don't have. And we have to kind of sit back and wait to get the inside scoop from, you know, from Powell, right? He's like the Wizard of Oz. He's all knowing. And, you know, us ordinary folks, you know, we don't know because he's, you know, like this super economist, because after all, he's the chairman of the Federal Reserve. I mean, he must be the best out there. Otherwise, why else would we have picked him, right? He must be this super genius uh, about the economy. And plus, he's got all these people working for him. He gets all this data. uh, and, And so surely he, you know, possesses some special knowledge that just ordinary economists aren't gonna have, right? Well, no, that's not it. I don't think most traders believe that Powell has any idea. The reason they care about what he says is because they wanna figure out how to position their, their trades. Because it's not about what's actually gonna happen. It's about what Powell thinks is gonna happen. That's what people care about. What does the Fed think is gonna happen? And then they can decide, well, if the Fed thinks this, what are they likely to do? And Powell actually talks about what he's likely to do. Now, maybe it's just a bluff, but it doesn't really matter to the markets because traders react to what the Fed says and what the Fed claims they're going to do. So it's not because he knows what he's talking about. It's just because everybody wants to know what he's thinking about doing or what he's pretending that he's going to do because that is important for short-term traders. So that's all it's about. It's not about actually knowing like, oh, Powell's going to tell us what the inflation rate's going to be next year or what the GDP rate's going to be. He has no clue. He doesn't, he's just guessing, right? In fact, his guess is probably worse than a random guess because it's heavily biased uh, based on the politics. And that's one of the reasons he keeps talking about how strong this economy is because it's Joe Biden's economy. He's trying to validate Bidenomics. So his marching orders are talk about how great this economy is. That way, Joe Biden, who renominated him, right? So he's going to do exactly what that guy wanted. He wants to, you know, put a nice bow on this economy and present it as if it's strong and everything is good. uh, So uh, Biden can, can claim credit for it. Of course, I guess the Fed claims credit too, because the Fed is, you know, 
you know, an architect of this great economy. And so Powell can also claim credit for fighting inflation, but doing it in a way that hasn't really damaged the economy. Anyway, we got a quick commercial break. We'll be back and I'm going to get to the meat of the press conference. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. All right, so we're talking about the press conference that followed the official announcement that interest rates would stay the same in uh, September, but likely to be notched up uh, another quarter point, maybe at the next FOMC meeting. And then, of course, the rates are going to be cut. Everybody expects that rates are going to be cut in 2024, especially since it's an election year. So you might expect that Biden is going to try to give a boost to the economy to help uh, reelect Joe Biden. And so the markets are already pricing in these interest rate cuts. But one of the comments that Powell made and that he stressed in the Q&A, too, is that the Fed wants to bring or is committed to bringing inflation down to 2 percent over time. Now, he doesn't say when, he just says over time, which you know, to me, well, how long? Someone should say, how long? How much time are you talking about, uh, Chair Powell? Because we've already waited over two years, right? 2021 and 2022, the inflation rates were significantly above 2%. We're almost finished with 2023. So we're almost gonna be three years where inflation is at least double 2% or, or more than double. So, I mean, that's a long time. Because remember, you know, Powell was saying initially we want inflation to average 2%. Well, we've just had three years of way above 2%, right? So how are we ever going to get the average to be 2%? That means we'd have to have inflation way below 2%, which, of course, <laughs> that's never going to happen. So, again, inflation averaging went out the window, right? That was the shortest policy goal in the history of the Fed because they had to abandon it quickly the minute they found themselves on the other side of 2% by the, the margin they were. Of course, I, you know, I, I, I said that was going to happen uh, when Powell first outlined this BS policy of, of average inflation at, at 2%. But how many more years is it going to take? One more year? Two more years? Three more years? I mean, that would be six years of well above 2% inflation. I mean, that's doing a lot of damage to the economy, to the purchasing power of all Americans. And Powell doesn't give any clear, you know, uh, timetable. He just says, we want to get it there over time. How much time? We have no clue. <laughs> uh, and so like, there's no urgency here. We're just, you know, we're going to take our time. Now, the other thing he talked about, the problem, right? And there's only one problem that, you know, he kind of acknowledged. The problem was the economy was too strong, right? That, that was the problem. No, he didn't say it was a problem. He went out of his way to say, that we're glad that the economy is so robust and so strong. But that the problem is, because the economy has been so strong, we didn't think it was going to be this strong. So because we were surprised by how great this economy is, there's more work to be done here. So we may have to hike rates more than we thought. We may have to leave these rates higher. But it's all because of this great economy. 
So don't be upset that you have these high rates because it's for a good reason. It's because of this strong economy. He's not going to admit that the reason rates are going up is because of inflation. Right? It's inflation that's strong, not the economy. Right? Inflation is just making the economy look strong because they're looking at the GDP numbers. Or again, they're looking at all these jobs that are being created because inflation has pushed up the cost of living so much that people need second and third jobs. So you have a lot of these jobs being created for people that already have one or two jobs and it's padding the numbers. But again, remember, I've been going over this every single month where we get a beat on the jobs. The next month, they revise it lower with seven times in a row or eight times in a row, which again is not coincidence. The odds are too low that you would, uh, you know, toss a coin head seven times in a row. If it's not coming up tails a couple of times, there's something wrong with that coin. And what's going on here is the government is constantly overestimating the number of jobs that are being created because they're overly optimistic on the economy. They think it's stronger than it is. And so they think it creates more jobs than it does. And then when they realize they were wrong, they go back and they revise it. But the revisions don't make the headlines. What makes the headlines is, hey, we beat expectations. Well, then we find out a month later that we didn't. But now there's a new report that beats expectations that then also gets revised down the following month. Nobody focuses on the revisions. All the news stories are, hey, we have a great number and we beat expectations. So, you know, all this talk about a strong labor market and a strong economy, it's really just talk. It's inflation that's strong and, and Powell doesn't want to admit it. Now, he did acknowledge that energy prices were going up right? once, just one time in the Q&A. You would thought there would have been more questions because between the last podcast and this one, Oil actually traded above $92 a barrel. So that was a 45% increase in just over four months. That is a huge rise. And, and so prices are going to keep rising for gasoline. Now, oil has pulled back today uh, and it pulled back from those highs. So as I'm doing this on Wednesday evening, the oil price is back below 90. It's $89 and change. But look at that trend. This is a very powerful uptrend as powerful as the yield on the 10-year Treasury, which also hit a new high uh, uh, over the last couple of days for this, for this entire move. So you have mortgage rates going up. I mean, you have uh, energy prices going up and you have uh, Treasury yields going up. So Powell discussed oil prices going up, but he didn't uh, acknowledge that, you know, this was in any way... Uh, a sign that inflation was coming back. He basically dismissed the oil price. He said that the Fed doesn't really look at it that much because it's transitory, right? Because it's volatile. It's, it's, you know, the Fed is more concerned about the core, which by the way, the core has been a lot hotter than the headline because the only reason the headline came down was because oil prices went down. In fact, you know, the Fed's been bragging about all the progress that they made on inflation. All that progress was pretty much due to oil coming down. And now they're claiming they don't care. Well, that's only because oil is going up. But of course, the main reason it came down was because we dumped all that oil out of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And, and now that short-term effect is gone. So again, that low oil price was transitory. And now we're having a high oil price. The only uh, aspect of the oil price that Powell mentioned related to inflation, he said that, well, if gas prices go up, that could impact consumer expectations of inflation. 
And so if consumers expect inflation, well, then maybe we'll get more, which, of course, is just a convenient way that the politicians and the bankers try to blame the public for inflation. Hey, the reason we have inflation is because you think there's going to be inflation. It's your fault that prices are going up. You just have these crazy view that prices are going to go up and then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because your expectation of rising prices causes you to ask for more rate wages and your and businesses expect prices to go up so they just raise them anyway to get out in front, which is all a bunch of nonsense. Oil is going up because of inflation. He's trying to say that rising oil prices might cause inflation by getting consumers to be worried about it. No, they should be worried about it because inflation is pushing up the price of oil. So he's got the cart before the horse, but he's not acknowledging any responsibility that maybe he hasn't made the progress that he thinks and oil is telling him that. In fact, one of the points he made about inflation is he says that they, they want to keep rates high because they want to make sure that the progress sticks. Right? So Powell specifically said he wants to see if the good inflation numbers that we got over the past few months, he wants to make sure that they continue and that they're not some kind of aberration, except we didn't get good reports. The last two reports were hotter than expected. I mean, maybe Powell doesn't realize that the last two out of three inflation numbers were bad. And in fact, what the inflation numbers show now is an uptrend, that we're no longer moving down. We no longer have disinflation. It's re-accelerating. And if you look at what's happened to energy prices since the last CPI, the suggestion is we're going to get another bad CPI number. So does he not even pay attention? He actually thinks that the last three numbers were good. Now, they're good in that there was a three handle on them. So it's better than an eight handle. So they were lower than they were. But what's important is the trend and the fact that we're moving away from 2% to the upside. And that basically shows that whatever glide path we may have been on, we're off that path now. And now we're headed higher. So Powell didn't even acknowledge that. And he's pretending uh, that, that he's getting good numbers. Now, somebody asked him, too, about the soft landing. And he said, well, did you give that up? You know, is that no longer your goal? And Powell said, no, 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 we're still trying to, you know, engineer a soft landing. That's what we want to do. But he said, what's more important is price stability. So we want a soft landing, but we need price stability. And if the only way to get price stability is not to have a soft landing, if those are the choices, then we're going to have to go uh, to restore price stability even if we get a soft landing. The only way they're going to get price stability is with a crash. There is no landing possible, and there's a financial crisis. And that means we're never going to have price stability. Uh, We're just going to have accelerating uh, inflation and extremely unstable prices. The only thing stable is going to be that they're always going to go up. That's going to be the only thing uh, where you have stability. Stability in that prices go up a lot every year. Uh, So it's going to be predictable and and consistent but it's not going to be the conventional definition of stable. Anyway, we got one more quick commercial. Uh, we'll come back with more of the podcast. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. All right, I am going over some of the comments made at the press conference. Obviously, I'm not getting into everything that was said, but I was watching the conference live and I jotted down some notes of some of the more uh, interesting uh, points. And those are the ones that we are going over now. Somebody asked, Powell, you know, what, how much confidence uh, should uh, the public have in your forecast? Now, the answer should have been, well, absolutely not. I have no clue what we're doing. We're just, uh, you know, throwing darts here. Or, you know, we're just putting a positive spin. Uh, but he, he kind of acknowledged that you shouldn't really have much confidence because he said, look, they're highly uncertain. We're just making a forecast and we don't really know. And it's an understatement. They don't know. Right? That's, that, that's the point I would made at the beginning. They have no clue. But they have a bias in trying to uh, present an optimistic forecast. And one of the reasons they do that is they are a big believer in expectations, just like they potentially believe that it's expectations that cause inflation. They also think that it's expectations that help the economy. If people think the economy is going to be good, well, then it's going to be good. It's kind of like the field of dreams, right? Uh, if you build them, it will come, right? If everybody believe, if we all just believe, right, if we could just close our eyes, I believe, I believe in a strong economy. I believe in low inflation, that we're going to collectively will these things into existence because it will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. These guys actually believe this. <laughs> and so you know, they, they, they want to say good things, hoping uh, that they will actually create those good things by all of us having an optimistic perspective. Because if we're negative, right, if we think the economy is going to be bad, well, then it will be bad, according to these economists. Because if we think it's going to be bad, well, we're going to prepare. We're going to stop spending. We're going to build up our savings. We're going to hunker down, build up our rainy day fund. And so they think that the preparation for a recession is what causes the recession. So the Fed wants nobody prepared. And so when a recession hits, you know, you're, it's, you're completely uh, unprepared for it. And you've got no rainy day fund, right? They want us very vulnerable. It's better if people are prepared for a recession because then it won't be as, as severe. You shall have, you know, have a cushion. If you get completely surprised, by the recession and you're in a very vulnerable position. So what the Fed is actually doing is very counterproductive. Now, he did talk about cutting rates um, that at some point, he said, well, at some point it will be appropriate to cut rates, right? Of course, because that's what the market wants to hear because nobody can afford these rates. So like, when are you gonna start cutting, right? You know, when can you declare victory on inflation so you can cut rates? See, the reality is, even if the Fed was able to get inflation back down near 2%, which it's not, it can't just immediately cut rates down to low numbers again because then inflation would shoot right back up. 
not only do rates have to go high, but they have to stay high. And it's not even high. 5%, a 5.25% Fed funds rate is normal. It's a normal rate. I mean, other than the last 12 years, which have been completely abnormal, there's no reason for the Fed to be cutting rates unless, you know, by its own, uh, you know, Keynesian playbook, unless we're in a big recession. So unless the Fed is going to say we're going to be in a recession, they shouldn't even be talking about cutting rates. If they have no recession in their forecast, if they think we're, you know, the economy is going to keep growing, they shouldn't even be talking about rate cuts. But they have to throw that bone to the markets because the markets know that they need these rate cuts. So they have to keep hope alive because if the bond market had to price in 5% rates, you know, for the duration, the 30-year Treasury would crash. The 10-year would crash. Those yields are still barely above 4, 4.3, 4.4, even though the short-term rates are 5 and a quarter, 5 and a half. That's because everybody expects that by next year, the Fed's going to be slashing rates again, even if we're not in a recession. So if Powell told the truth and said, well, we can't, well, then the bonds would crash, mortgage rates would spike even more, and then we would have the, the, the recession, and we'd have the crash, not the soft landing. So Powell has to keep the markets believing uh, that rates are going to go back down. It's like they're telling the drug addicts, don't worry, you're going to get your heroin. You just have to wait a little while longer. Just, just stick it out for another three to six months, and you're going to get your fix. Well, the reality is that's not going to happen. And when the markets figure that out, that's when there's going to be a violent reaction. Now, they did talk about bond yields uh, once. Somebody asked them. They only came up one time, right? Again, that's a big indication that the Fed's lost its inflation war because she got bond yields going up. And, and someone said, you know, pointed it out, like they're the highest they've been in, you know, I think since 2007. Yesterday, we hit the highest bond yields since 2007. And, and the reporter asked Powell, you know, why is this happening? And the first thing he went out of his way to say is, well, it's not because of inflation, right? So if you're thinking that interest rates are rising because of inflation, well, we're going to tell you that's not why. Well, how does he know? How does he know why yields are rising? I mean, he kind of said he didn't know. Well, if he doesn't know, then how does he know it's not inflation? And in fact, what Powell goes out of his way to say is not causing bond yields to rise, that's, you pretty much know that that's what's causing it. Because he doesn't want people to know what's causing it, so he wants them to rule out inflation. But inflation is what's causing it. More and more people are starting to expect higher inflation, and it's gradually being priced in to the long end of the yield curve. Now, we've barely begun. We have a long way to go, but the process has started. Now, what Powell said potentially could be causing rising bond yields was, number one, well, this super strong economy. Right. We have a lot, a really strong economy. And so there's demand for credit. And so that's, you know, pushing up rates. So like it's a good thing. Right. It's hey, yes, rates are rising, but they're rising for the right reason because it just reflects a strong economy, which is BS. Now, he did allude to the debt without actually saying it. What he said is that another possible explanation is the supply of treasuries. Well, duh, right? There's all these treasuries on the market. Where are they coming from, right? Why do we have a big supply? He didn't, he didn't mention that because he doesn't want to talk about fiscal policy, but we have a big supply because the national debt is exploding. I just mentioned the national debt went up a trillion dollars in three months. That's a trillion dollars worth of treasuries 
that we had to sell during those three months. We had to convince people to buy them. And so we're having to pay higher interest rates to get the suckers to pony up. But that's not all the treasuries that we had to sell during that three-month period because we had all the maturing treasuries that were sold a year ago, two years ago, five years ago that happened to mature during those three months. And now we had to find new buyers for those. Right? They had to be rolled over. And that is what is pushing up yields. But Powell doesn't want to talk about that because he's afraid to criticize the Biden administration for running these deficits. So, yeah, maybe it's got a little bit to do with supply. Yes, it's got everything to do with supply. But also, that supply is indicative of future inflation. Because what the markets are sensing, and they will sense it more uh, as we continue, is that, okay, the debts are very big. What does that mean? That means that even though the Fed is doing quantitative tightening now, the Fed is going to have to return to quantitative easing because it's going to have no political choice other than to monetize these debts. So bigger deficits today lead to more inflation tomorrow because the Fed has to create the inflation to buy the debt. And so the added supply of treasuries is a problem because it means higher future inflation. So for Powell to declare emphatically that the rise in bond yields has nothing to do with inflation is a lie. But again, he wants to say that because he wants to take credit for inflation going down. So he has to ignore all the signs that it's not going down, like rising oil prices, which he said have nothing to do with inflation, and rising bond yields, which he claims has nothing to do with inflation. Apparently, nothing has to do with inflation, right? Because the Fed doesn't want to be held responsible. And again, the Fed doesn't even think they cause inflation. They think the public causes it. Uh, based on on their actions. Oh, by the way, one of the reporters asked him about how these higher interest rates were hurting people that you know have a lot of credit card debt, right? That are that are living off their credit cards and they have all this debt. Nobody pointed out though what I've been pointing out is how these higher interest rates impact consumer prices because businesses that also have debt. And they don't have 30-year fixed-rate mortgages like a lot of homeowners did. A lot of businesses have short-term debt, and their debt service costs have risen sharply. And that's just another cost of production, cost of doing business, like labor costs, like raw material costs. Uh, And so they have to be passed on. If you buy a consumer good from a company, and that company is paying interest on its debt, Well, you're paying the interest on that debt because it's going to be built into the price of the goods that you're buying. And and so nobody points out the irony of how the rate hikes are actually contributing to the price increases that we're seeing. But this one question was focused only on the, um, uh, the, the, you know, the the, the, uh, lower income consumer who's struggling with a bunch of credit card debt. And the reporter's like, hey, these people are having to pay these higher uh, interest rates. So aren't you hurting these people with your inflation fight? And, and Powell's answer was, well, we're not really hurting them because these are the people that are hurting the most from inflation because they have no savings. They spend all their money on food and energy. In fact, they spend more than they have. That's why they have all this credit card debt. And so he said that even though they're paying higher interest to credit card debt, they're ultimately going to be the biggest beneficiaries of bringing inflation back down to 2%, except that's not going to happen. 
what the Fed has done is not going to bring inflation back down to 2%. Inflation is going to keep on rising. And so these you know, poor people that are living off of debt are going to get no relief. They're going to get hit twice. They're going to get hit with higher inflation that the Fed is not going to restrain. And they're, you know, they're too little, too late, you know, quasi effort to fight inflation means they have to pay higher interest on the money they borrow to buy the goods and services they can no longer afford. So the people that he claims to be championing are the ones that are suffering the most from the inflation that the Fed has created and that the Fed is powerless to rein in due to the you know, short-term political consequences uh, that would uh, befall everybody if the Fed actually did what it would take to fight inflation and force the government to make drastic cuts to government spending and get rid of the deficit and, and, and all those things um, that have to be, be done. Now, I also thought it was interesting that Powell admitted that the savings rate had dropped a lot. And he didn't even say that like it was a bad thing because he said, well, you know, we had a big drop in the savings rate. We're not sure if that's sustainable. Yeah, because once the savings are gone, I mean, you can't drop below zero, right? I mean, although maybe could it go negative? I guess if everybody is going into debt, then maybe the savings rate, is, it could be negative. Um, but Powell did not, you know, question the apparent a contradiction there between how strong he claims the economy is. We got this super strong economy, yet he admits that the savings rate had fallen sharply. Now, if the economy is so strong, why are the workers in this strong economy being forced to deplete their savings? If the economy is strong, they should be adding to their savings. Again, when times are good, you save more. It's when times are bad that you have to fall back on your savings. So if you're talking about a plunge in the savings rate and you're also talking about a booming economy, you know, some kind of bell should go off that, hey, these things are inconsistent with one another. You know, again, when you are doing good, right, you pay off debt. I mean, it, again, it's that analogy that I, I've used many times, and it's a good one. That's why Jeff Gunlock uses it as well. Um, that is that, you know, you run into your old buddy that you haven't seen for a long time, uh, college buddy, and you ask the guy, hey, how you doing? And the guy says, oh, you know, I, I've maxed out all my credit cards. I've taken out a, a third mortgage on my house. I've depleted uh, my, uh, my, my savings. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm taking on all this debt, right? That guy's not doing great. I mean, if he said I'm doing great, I got all this debt, right? It wouldn't make any sense. If another friend told you, he said, hey, how you doing? Oh, I've paid off my mortgage. Uh, I, I fully funded my, my kid's retirement account uh, or, or my kid's college fund. I fully funded my retirement. I'm, I'm completely debt free, right? That's the guy that's doing good. Not the guy that's leveraged up to the hilt. He's borrowing all this money because that's the only way he can survive. When you have a strong economy that generates surpluses and now people can build up uh, their net worth. You know, I thought it was also interesting that Powell commented later on about, and this is like the last thing he said right before the, um, the press conference was over. He said that there is a significant improvement uh, that he's seeing 
in household balance sheets. He said lots of good things are happening uh, with household balance sheets. Like what? What good things are happening? If the savings rate is crashing, that's part of a household balance sheet. If your debt services are rising, that is hurting your balance sheet. I mean, what else do consumers have on their balance sheet? Their homes? Real estate prices have stopped kind of going up, but the cost of maintaining those houses has gone way up. Um, Stock prices have started to come down. I mean, they had gone up, uh, but they've been going sideways. Uh, So I don't know what he's looking at. He's talking about these strong balance sheets. Uh, The balance sheets aren't strong at all. That's just another thing that Powell got wrong. Let me see what else other notes I got here. Yeah, in fact, the only problem that he acknowledged with consumer debt, in fact, he said it wasn't even a problem yet, but he said he was watching uh, the consumer debt. You know, this is in response to the question on, uh, you know, people with a lot of credit card debt and how the high interest rates are hurting them. And he said, look, you know, we're, we're, we're monitoring it just to see if there's any stress there. Like if there's, if there's a problem with repayments, if delinquencies are picking up, but we haven't noticed that yet. So all this debt is okay. But again, he didn't recognize the inconsistency. Why would a strong economy result in consumers taking on so much debt? And it's not just the consumers. It's the government that has taken on massive amounts of debt. We've got record budget deficits. Families are running huge deficits. They're depleting their savings. They're running up their credit card debt. How is this a sign of a strong economy? It's a sign of an extremely weak economy that's being supported by a mountain of debt. The only reason consumers are spending is because they keep borrowing. The only reason the government is spending is because it keeps borrowing. That is a sign of weakness that Powell does not even want to acknowledge. And the other problem, when Powell refused to acknowledge the the debt and the consumer spending, right? He keeps talking about consumers are spending and consumer credit. That's part of the inflation problem. The definition of inflation is an expansion of the supply of money and credit. Credit is part of the money supply, is part of the purchasing power. And so if credit keeps expanding, that continues to exert upward pressure on consumer prices. So despite the fact that Powell is talking about this restrictive monetary policy, it's not restrictive. If it was restrictive, debt would be coming down. Governments would be borrowing less. Consumers would be borrowing less. Companies would be borrowing less. You can't talk about how we have tight money, we have restrictive monetary policy, and then acknowledge that everybody is borrowing even more money now than they were before you had this restrictive policy. So monetary policy is still loose. It's not restrictive. Anyway, I want to uh, talk a little bit about uh, the markets. Although before I do, you know, I was watching on CNBC this morning, and they were interviewing this woman who was an um, asset manager, money manager. And she was very bullish on stocks. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Some of that water went down <coughs> the wrong way. She was very bullish on stocks, which is, you know, why she's on CNBC, because that's, you know, part of the criteria to get on there is you've got to be bullish pretty much. But she was basically trying to uh, – address the concerns that people had regarding rising interest rates. And she said, look, you know, historically, rising interest rates are not necessarily a problem. And she said, you know, we have 
positive real interest rates. They're higher than they've been. Now, I still think interest rates are negative because I don't believe the inflation rate because real interest rates are the nominal yield minus the CPI. Well, right now, the yield uh, on bonds, uh, you know, the short-term treasuries or the Fed funds rate is five and a quarter, and the official inflation rate is like, you know, two, 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 uh, three quarter, but they're still projecting it to go down to two and a half. So she's still talking about, you know, two, two and a half percent real rates, but she acknowledges that that's higher than they have been. It's more than we're accustomed to. I still think they're negative because I think the inflation rate is higher than five and a half percent, the actual rate. Uh, and so they're still negative, but they're probably not as negative as they were because we have gone up 500 basis points or more than that from, from zero. But she said that we should look at the 1980s as comparison, that we don't have to worry because things worked out well in the 80s. Because according to this so-called expert who's managing people's money, I'm just glad she's not managing any of mine, but she said that we should look to the 80s as, as an example of what's going to happen now to the, to the stock market because she said we had higher real interest rates in the 80s. right? They, she said they were 3.5%. And so... They were higher back then, and the stock market did great in the 80s, and so it could do great now. And I think it was Joe Kernan who was interviewing her, and he's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So you're saying everything is great and stocks can go up. She talked about this huge rally that the stock market had in the 80s. And so according to her, we could just do the same thing now, which is completely asinine because what she doesn't recognize is all the other differences between now and the 1980s. First of all, when the decade started, 1980, right? The stock market had been falling since 1966. We were 14 years in to a bear market and it really didn't turn around until about 1982, it started to go up. But in 1980, the PE on the S&P 500 was under eight, under eight. Stocks were cheap in 1980. Also, as I already mentioned, the national debt was just a trillion dollars. I mean, it seemed big at the time, but obviously compared to today's 33 trillion, it was tiny. But it wasn't just the government that had a lot. I mean, the, the government that had a lot less debt. Everybody had a lot less debt in 1980 than they do today. And, and so that mean, meant that higher interest rates were not as big a problem because we weren't burdened by as much debt. We also had a very different economy. We, you know, we still had at the beginning of 1980 trade surpluses. We were still the world's biggest creditor nation. We weren't a, a debtor nation. And we had Ronald Reagan president. It was the beginning of eight years of Reagan. Uh, and you know, even though Reagan did some things wrong, he did some things right. I mean, Reagan as president is a lot better than Joe Biden as president. So it was night and day. 80s stock market valuations were super low. And yes, real yields were high, but you know what? They came down for the entire decade. The Fed was cutting rates uh, during a lot of the 80s. Inflation was coming down. The opposite is going to be happening. Now, inflation is going to be going up. And so this is the complete opposite of the 1980s. Yet this money manager is telling people to look at the 1980s for uh, an example of what's likely to happen in this decade when it's the polar opposite. She's off by a decade, right? 
She didn't go back far enough. It's not the 1980s. Like I said on my last podcast, it's the 1970s. That's the decade that she should be looking for. That's the decade of high inflation. That's where we are. We're early in the decade of high inflation. 1980s was what we got after a decade of high inflation. But what did it take to get rid of that high inflation? 20% interest rates. That in, The inflation rate peaked out at 13 and a half and the Fed got to 20%. Yields on the long-term treasuries were 13, 14%, 15%, something like that. We're a long way from doing what it, we did in 1980, 1981, 1982 uh, to, uh, to put a stop to that cycle. We're, we're nowhere near it. And in fact, Paul Volcker, as I mentioned, back in 1980, was telling the U.S. government, cut the deficits, cut government spending, or raise taxes, do something, but you can't keep running these deficits and expect inflation to come down. Well, that's not what Powell's doing. Powell's saying, I don't care about the deficits. I got no comment. You know, we, 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 we have no input. We don't have any opinion. We're just going to take the deficits as they come, which is a complete cop-out. It's complete BS, because if you're just going to take the deficits as they come, you're, what are you going to do? You're just going to create the inflation, right? You've abdicated your role of inflation fighting, and you've also abdicated, abdicated your role of being uh, an independent central bank. Independent doesn't mean you withhold criticism. Independent means you offer your criticism. That's the purpose of independence, so you can be critical, so you're not beholden to an administration. It's the job of the Fed to point out to Congress and to the American public what the government is doing wrong. Powell is supposed to say, you idiots, you're complaining about inflation, you're causing it, you're running all these deficits, and I'm monetizing them because if I didn't, interest rates would skyrocket, we'd have a financial crisis, the banks would fail. Now, of course, what Powell should do is let that happen. See, it takes two to tango. But if Powell wants to avoid that, he could at least say, you know what, you guys have got to cut spending or raise taxes, because if you don't, then I'm going to have to do this. Then I'm going to have to let interest rates rise sharply and everything is going to crash and don't come you know, looking to me to finance your bailouts because I'm not going to be able to do it. But Powell has no stomach for doing the right thing himself and he's got no stomach for telling uh, Congress and the president what they have to do. It was just like, you know, he got a question on the strike and, you know, he, what, what did he say? Well, I don't want to, I don't want to take a position on the strike. I don't want to say anything. Yeah. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to offend the labor unions. I don't want to tell you what I think about this auto worker strike, obviously that's a big problem, right? Why he can't say that this is a problem. But again, what he also didn't admit is that the reason these auto workers need more money is because he helped create all this inflation that pushed up their cost of living. This is part of the cycle that the inflation has created. So that's probably why he doesn't want to talk about the strike because the reason they need to strike is because of inflation. And it's not going to cause inflation, as I said. The, the, way, the higher wages won't cause inflation. The higher wages are the result of the inflation that the Fed caused. 
that the Biden administration, that Congress caused, and it's not just this administration, it's prior administrations and prior Fed chairs, they've been doing the same thing. We've been creating inflation for more than a decade, two decades. How anyone believes that one year of rate hikes is going to unravel two decades of inflation creating, they just don't understand uh, the point that we're in. Anyway, just getting to the markets, the markets did sell off on the close, particularly the NASDAQ. And as I've been saying, that market looks toppy to me. We closed right on the lows of the day. The, the, the NASDAQ was down almost 1.5%. We're just breaking below a, 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 an uptrend. So I think there is a lot of short-term risk in this market. There's a lot of complacency out there. People aren't expecting the market to sell off. It could, you know, there was a lot of hoopla on that ARM Holdings IPO. I mentioned it. It was down again today. It's been down several days in a row. It closed at 52.91. The IPO price was 51, and it spiked up to 69, and it's been downhill ever since. Today's low was 51 and a quarter. I think it's going to take out the IPO price of 51, and then it's really going to tank. But if you look at how much the stock has already dropped from its highs, because it went from 69 to 51 and a half, that is a 25% decline in the last few days. That's already a bear market, right? This We've gone from IPO to bear market in, in less than a week. So that tells you something. But if this thing starts breaking the IPO price so that the people who got lucky and got in at 51, if they're underwater too, uh, that's going to be very negative psychologically for the market. Crypto market, to, to me, again, looks like it's getting ready for a big sell-off, just like other risk assets, because the Fed has finally stopped hiking rates. Again, it's almost like a buy the rumor, sell the fact. A lot of people thought, oh, when the Fed stops hiking rates, that, that could be good for stocks, uh, but it actually could be bad. And as the, um, the uh, soft landing um, you know, fairy tale is exposed because that's going to undermine the case for earnings. So earnings are going to go down. Interest rates are going to stay up. That's bad for stocks and valuations are already in nosebleed levels. Uh, so we have a long way to go down. But again, I think the dollar needs to crack. The dollar was propped up based on all these rate hikes. Well, if the Fed is not going to be hiking anymore, then what's going to be propping up the dollar? Nothing. Uh, it's a bottomless pit. There's nothing but air beneath it. And I think it can you know, fall through uh, that, that, that floor. The opposite move, gold's around 1930 Again, you know, we never really sold off much below 1900 We got below it a couple of times, but we couldn't stay there. Uh, there is some resistance around 2000 but I think that's paper thin. I think we're going to blow through that. As I mentioned earlier, something could be going on in China, Chinese demand picking up. Uh, you know, we, we could be a day away from any kind of crisis. You know, the, the debt is exploding. Uh, people are starting to wake up, the de-dollarization, the BRIC nations, all the stuff that I've been warning about for years on this podcast, and even before I had a podcast, all this stuff uh, is coming to fruition, uh, you know, and, and you just got to be prepared. You don't want to go to sleep at night uh, without being prepared. That means you want to have your full positions in gold and silver. You want to contact Shift Gold and, and make sure you own all the gold and silver that you, you feel you need. Uh, as an appropriate hedge and a store of value. 
and make sure your portfolio is properly allocated in dividend-paying foreign stocks, in resource stocks. Like some of the oil stocks that we own hit new 52-week highs this week. I think they still have a long way to go. Look, people made money in the stock market in the 1970s if they had the right stocks. If you had gold mining stocks, if you had oil stocks, you made money. You lost money if you had the nifty 50. You had the stocks that did great during the bull market, like the Polaroids or all those one decision stocks. The one decision was buy it because you never have to sell it. But the people who invested in the 1970s, like it was still the 1960s, got killed. Not only did they lose money in the stock market, but their money lost a lot of value. But if you invested in my strategy back then, foreign dividend paying stocks, if you bought Japanese stocks, you killed it uh, during uh, the 1970s. So if you got out of the U.S. market and if you stayed in the U.S. market, but just bought the raw materials, the energy, the mining, you made a lot of money during that decade. So stocks are a good asset class during inflation. It's just you got to own the right stocks. The problem is most Americans own the wrong stocks. They own the stocks that did well during the bubble. Those are the stocks that are going to do worse as the air comes out of that bubble. So contact your uh, representative at Euro Pacific Asset Management, Europac.com, and make sure you get your portfolio properly allocated into global stocks, value, dividends, uh, commodities, uh, real true inflation hedges, because inflation is about to go from bad to worse. Anyway, that's it for today. Don't forget to stick around, because right after this podcast, we're doing the Q&A at shiftradio.com slash premium.